In 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says, For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, for our sake, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's our comfort this morning as we come to worship him. He has become our sin so that we would become his righteousness. Let's now open God's word that he would teach us. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John 15. John 15, we'll read verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So far from John 15, and so far for our scripture reading prior to this sermon. Our text this morning, in preparation for the Lord's Supper, comes from... 1 John chapter 2, just a couple of verses, 1 John 2, verses 28 and 29. 1 John two twenty-eight. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. So far, the Word of God. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, the word from God to us this morning is is so simple and yet so, so important for us to hear. Something that I've loved and I hope you've loved about working through John in preparation for 
the Lord's Supper every time we celebrate, is that John has this ability to, to speak so directly and so plainly, and yet he says in his letter exactly the things that we need to hear. It's certainly something I've uh, rejoiced in that I've benefited greatly from. And that's, it's true especially of our text this morning. It's so simple, isn't it? The command, abide in Him, remain in Him, be steadfast in Him. We're here to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and by so doing, we're enjoying the great privilege. It is a privilege that Christ has given to us to sit at His table, to call ourselves by His name, to remember our communion with Him and our our fellowship with Him. And Christ promises that He is with us as we do this. And so what John is telling us this morning is, is very simple. It is, if that is indeed a blessing to you, to, to have communion with Christ, if that's a blessing to you, then brothers and sisters, abide in Him. Hold on. Remain. Be steadfast. The word abide, in the Greek word that, that John uses, it simply means to remain, but it carries this connotation as well of, of living and, and dwelling and having a living relationship. So in, in, what, in the verse we read in John 15, Verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me. So, in the same sense that a, a branch abides in the vine, there's a living relationship there. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So, to abide in Christ, it's more than simply to remain Christian in, in name. It means to be united to Him, to have a living relationship with Him. And that's what John is urging us to remember to do this morning, to abide, to live with Christ. We have a great privilege as Christians to bear the name of Christ, to belong to Him, and to know that He promises us, you do belong to me. And that, that special privilege is especially on display when we come and sit at the Lord's table. And so again, the, the, the exhortation here is, be watchful about your life. Be watchful over your heart so that you wouldn't stop abiding in Him. The command, abide, is really a command, don't stop abiding. Keep on Abiding. It's not that his readers don't already abide in Christ, but they need to continue in, in that abiding. Don't let there become, don't let there grow a disconnect between you and Christ. Don't let yourself get bored of Christ. Don't let yourself get discouraged and, and ultimately stray from Christ. Instead, stay near to him. Stay united to Him and allow Him then to bear fruit in your life, just as the branch does through the vine. It says, The Lord Jesus also warned His disciples, as we also read, If anyone does not abide in Me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. When a branch is separated from the vine, it loses its life, it, it withers, it becomes dry, and it's ultimately then good for nothing but to be burned. It's a warning there in the Lord Jesus' words. So when we come to the table, it is a reminder of the great privilege 
that we have as Christians to, to be united to Christ. And every time we come, it should also then be a reminder of the urgency and the utmost importance of making sure that we never lose that privilege by taking Christ for granted and allowing ourselves to become disconnected, to wither, and to dry up. Well, John drives this reminder home in the second half of verse 28 as well, where he reminds us that the day is coming when Christ will return. That day is coming. And he encourages us to to think ahead about that day, to think, what do you want that day to be like? So he says in the second half of verse 28, Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. What do you want that day to be like? There will be two kinds of people on that day. Some who have been anxiously longing for the return of Christ, who have been living in Him, abiding in Him, taking their life from Him, and and have been living out of their identity in Him and in relationship with Him. When He comes on that day, they're going to be confident. They're going to step forward rejoicing to greet their Savior. But John is warning us there will be others who never really thought much about that day and who weren't living in light of it. And they, they kind of even forgot that that day would actually come. And what John is saying, when that day comes, there are going to be people who are going to, to shrink back from him at his coming, to, to hide themselves, to want to disappear in the crowd. And understand, he's not talking there about people out in the world. He is talking about people within the church. Those who shrink back are those who formerly had been stepping forwards. And so there will be people who have been happily confessing the name of Christ and never really thinking twice about coming to the Lord's Supper and declaring their unity in Him by so doing, but who, when He comes, will suddenly realize what they should have seen all along, that they have not been living in relationship with Him, and they will shrink back in shame and in embarrassment at his coming. They made the mistake of assuming that all was well between them and Christ, when in fact there was no living relationship with him. It's a hard warning. These are people who weren't confessing their sins to him, who weren't listening to his word, who were tolerating things in their lives that never should have been tolerated in the Christian life. And on that day, instead of running forward, the way that every Christian would love to do, instead of running forward when Christ returns, they will be shrinking back, hiding themselves, trying not to be seen. What John is urging us to do is think about that day ahead of time. Think about what you want that day to be like. And don't let it happen that you find yourself, almost even by accident, growing disconnected from your Savior to the point that when he comes, you realize, I don't even know who he is. Be a part of the saints who run forward to greet the Savior with whom they've been living their entire life long. See, it's wonderful news that we get to come and, and celebrate our fellowship with Christ. Rejoice in the fact that we are Christians. We belong to him, and he says, I belong to you. But we never want to do that without being vigilant about our own hearts and our own lives. So the command is is really, really simple. Abide in Him 
so that you can rejoice on that day and not have to shrink back. Verse 29 then uh, gives us something objective to, to measure our lives by. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. What he's saying is, you know, you know that Christ is righteous. Christ is holy. He is perfect. And so you know that those who imitate his righteousness are those then who belong to him. Those are the ones who are not going to shrink back. If you know that he's righteous, you know that on the day he comes, the ones who will run forward are those who have been living in righteousness. The ones who will shrink back are those who have been embracing and living in sin. And so when he speaks of uh, being born of Christ, what he's talking about there is, is the new spiritual life that every Christian, every single Christian ought to have. It's what we in Reformed churches call regeneration. The Canons of Dort describe, describe it this way. It says, God carries out His good pleasure in the elect and works in them true conversion, another word for regeneration, in the following manner. He takes care that the gospel is preached to them and He enlightens their minds by the Holy Spirit so that they may rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God. By the same efficacious or effective working of the same regenerating spirit, he also penetrates into the innermost recesses of man. It's the spirit's work breaking into our hearts, opening the barriers that we ourselves put up in our hearts. He opens the closed and softens the hard heart. He circumcises that which was uncircumcised. He instills new qualities in the will. He makes the will which was dead alive, which was bad good, which was unwilling willing, which was stubborn obedient. He moves, it says, and strengthens it so that like a good tree it may begin to produce good fruits. That's describing in in the best that we can in our own human language, describing that relationship that Christ is talking about between the branches and the vine. It's the impact that the vine has on the branches that are united to it, completely overtaking them and filling them. And what John says is, you can tell who those people are, who are united to the branch, who are operated on by the Spirit in that way, by looking at their lives. Do they produce the fruit of righteousness? Now, I want to emphasize really clearly the way that John words this. He does not say, everyone who practices righteousness makes himself born of Christ. Right? That's not what he says. It's a past tense. Those who have been born of Christ. He's not saying that practicing righteousness is how you earn your place Uh, with Christ, or how you earn your place as a Christian. What he's saying is, those who practice righteousness have been, have been, so past perfect tense, have been born of God. A life of righteousness, fighting against sin, striving to know the will of God and to to obey it. It's not a, a way of earning your place with Christ. It's not a qualification. It's an effect of being born of Christ. Those who are born of Christ will produce the fruit of righteousness. So he's not talking here about how to earn your spiritual birth, just like you couldn't earn your 
first birth, your natural birth. You can't earn your spiritual birth. But you can tell, just as with your natural birth, you can tell that you have been born by whether you are currently alive. So, do you, so he's asking then, do you want to know who are the people who are, who are not going to be ashamed when Christ returns, but instead are going to run out and greet their Savior? It's those who are right now, because of their love for Christ and their unity with Christ, those who are fighting against their sins, striving to know and to do the will of God. Because that, that only ever happens in those who have been born of Christ. Now, we might ask, well, wait a second, doesn't it ever happen that, that someone who practices righteousness but isn't actually born of Christ? Isn't that what you would call a hypocrite? Well, no, not in the sense that John means it. Uh, there is no one who practices righteousness that is not born of Christ. He says that uh, clearly enough in, in verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Christ. It's true that unbelievers and, and hypocrites can outwardly do good things, things that you would say that, that's good. It, it's a right thing to do. No one's questioning that, that that can happen. But righteousness, especially in the sense that John means it, righteousness has to do with something that is right all the way through, right down to the motives and desires of the heart. You can do the right thing without having a right heart towards God. And God says that is not righteousness. Righteousness then refers to a life that flows from a heart that is right with God. And that only ever happens through a restoration of the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's why John can say everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Christ, because their righteousness is a righteousness that goes all the way through, right down to a right and renewed heart. So he has his eyes on, on real righteousness that flows from a renewed heart. So that's the measure then that John gives us by which we can measure our lives. When you examine your life, is it a life that is rooted in a right relationship? With Christ, bearing therefore righteous fruit. It's a hard measure to use. There's a a painful dimension to this as we honestly examine our lives. We see things there that are not right. And if we are able to look down into the, the hidden parts of the heart, we see motives and desires that also are not right. Nobody comes to the table perfectly sinless. But John gives us this measure so that we would be diligent about addressing those areas, about seeing them, looking for them, and then addressing them, because that's how we produce the fruit of the vine. Are we abiding in him? That's the question that stands before us. So brothers and sisters, do come. Do come to the table of Christ. Don't let the warning keep you from coming. He is calling you to come. And it's a tremendous honor and privilege that we have that we can come. But please let it also be a reminder of the urgency and the utmost importance of abiding in Him, living in Him, living our lives out of our identity in Him, abiding in Him in the privacy of our hearts and in our individual lives Monday through Saturday. So as you come, focus also on growing 
that relationship with Jesus Christ and, and on deepening your unity with him and allowing him then through you to bear fruit. Remember, the day is coming when he will return. Be thinking ahead about what you want that day to be like. And so come near. Come near confessing sins that still need to be confessed so that you don't ever have to be ashamed or afraid on the day he returns. But you can run forward knowing that all that needs to be revealed has already been revealed. It all stands in the open light. Already now then, Christ calls us, come, come and unite and be united with him. Come with a whole heart that has been born of him and finds all of its life in him. Amen.